Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. I know it's been a little bit since I did an episode and I've been kind of taking a break because we've been doing all kinds of 40th anniversary special stuff for Blade Runner. So I was really busy with Blade Runner stuff. Um, and now that that anniversary is passed, also the anniversary for The Thing, it's a big day for us fans of that stuff. The first interview I'm doing is a big one with Tim Levin. But Tim, uh, it's really exciting to have you here. Um, we'll get a little bit into like different stuff, introducing you, your wider work as we go. I know most people, a lot of people like were introduced to you because of the film of The Silence. Yeah, um, sure. And uh, of course, Pay the Ghost, which you got behind you, which was- uh, There he is. Yeah. yeah it's a very mate. underrated movie based on one of your stories. Yeah. Um, I love Pay the Ghost. That was great. Uh, but you've been in the salt mines doing science fiction, horror, media tie-in stuff for a long time. You're one of the most prolific um, authors we've got going in this generation. So yeah. I'm really excited to have you here. Well, great. It's great to be here. Thanks, David. Yeah, I was just chatting to a, a friend today um, who's, who's a bit unwell. I went to visit him and he was asking me how many novels uh, have you written out, Tim? And I, I it almost... <laughs> shocked me when i said i think 47 wow i'm either working on the 47th or 48th and i wonder if it's too many but yeah so um yeah it's almost 25 years almost 25 years next year since my first novel was out so on average it's only two a year you know yeah. <laughs> well two years pretty pretty good clip yeah i guess uh, <laughs> what is your origin story with um science fiction horror and right or just reading in general because you have to be a good reader to be a, a writer at this level right yeah totally I mean my mum got me into reading at a really young age I was reading books from as long as I can remember from the age of five six seven I'd read prolifically eight nine ten I was reading a book a day I'd help at the local library with my friend Amadin we'd go and and help help them restock books and they'd let us take a couple home um <laughs> the first ones I can remember being addicted to are the Willard Price adventure novels. He wrote a series of books about two brothers collecting animals around the world for their father's zoo. It's probably not you know particularly PC anymore, but just great adventure. And it, uh, I think I got my sort of seeding of the love of darker stuff there because there were Cannibal Adventure was one of them. That was pretty grim. Um, and then my mum gave me uh, a book to read when I was 10 or 11 and that was The Rats by James Herbert and that yeah. instantly elevated me from reading Enid Blyton, Willard Price kids books to James Herbert, Stephen King, Clive mm -hmm. Barker and then the whole world of it opened up for me then. Well and I think for uh, the American listeners they, they don't uh, probably understand the level to which James Herbert was so important to to British horror fans because right yeah yeah i mean he he was the he was he was the british stephen king for a good a good period you know if if there was any horror books on the shelf in a bookshop here it would have been stephen king james herbert clive barker dean Koontz, richard mm. layman uh right. that was probably it 
you know some some horror some stores had a really poor horror shelf and it was it was those five writers well i i still to this day think dominion by james herbert is one of the greatest concepts for a novel oh the rats Uh, the third the third rats novel yeah yeah grim old novel i mean he I, I I don't reread him an awful lot. Um, I, I was lucky enough; I did get to meet him once, uh, and I, I I've met you know I've met lots of horror writers, and I I, I sort of don't. We're all just normal people. I tend not to get mm-hmm. starstruck that much, but uh, I met James Herbert at a convention. I said, "Oh, Mr. Herbert, I've just got to shake your hand and say, you know, your your book, The Rats, got me into horror." Uh, right. My mum lent it to me, gave it to me when I was ten, and he said, "Oh, you had a very liberal mum." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the rats, the dark, the fog, uh, and he wrote some really, you know, real gruesome slasher uh, stuff. But also stuff like uh, the Jonah and um, uh, Fluke, the story of a man who thinks he's a dog or a dog who thinks he's a man. Real, real quirky stuff as well. Uh, I haven't reread anything by him in years, and I, I'm afraid to, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do do you have so? Would you consider rats to be like the breakthrough, like? one that really kind of got you into everything or yeah it's the rats yeah Yeah, it's the rats that got me reading horror um uh, i'm thankful that herbert got me i progressed then on to king because my my favorite novel is probably the stand um Mm -hmm. so i much prefer king to herbert but herbert was definitely my sort of pivot point from reading kids books into reading you know adult books now that's the that got you interested in things but it was there one that that was like a light bulb reading experience for becoming a storyteller or um, getting into that? So I'd always written. I, I wrote when I was seven, eight, nine, I was writing stories. And then when I was in my early teens or, you know, 10, 11, 12, I was writing ripoff stories. I was, I was reading like, um, uh, before I got into horror, I was reading Colin Forbes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he wrote some adventure novels. And there's one, one he wrote called uh, Tramp in Armour, which was a, a war novel. And I did a total rip off of that. Um, so I was writing through my teens and reading loads of King and loads of horror and trying to expand my, expand the stuff I was reading. I, I went through that awkward phase just thinking, oh, I've, I've read, you know, that nobody's as good as Stephen King. It's no point reading anything <laughs> else. You know, only for a year or two, and then started reading loads of other stuff and, and my whole sort of um, horizon expanded outwards. But as for becoming a writer, I think it was probably my late teens where I actually... Uh, wrote my first short story called Black Heart with a view to having it published, with a view to try and get it published. Late teens, early 20s. But I wrote all through my teens, but only got serious with it in my sort of early to mid 20s, I think. And then sold my first short story in my mid 20s and sold my first novel, Mesmer, when I was, oh, how old was I? Uh, uh, 28, 29. So longish, longish process. I, you know, I'm not one of these. You hear about people writing their first novel, instantly selling it, and for a major hit. But I wrote my first novel. I did sell my first novel, but uh, I think I got two hundred pounds for it and sold a couple of hundred copies. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, as in a career as long as yours, where you've written as many oh, books, it make me feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> well, as accomplished, oh, but yeah, but you've done a lot quickly like yeah. honestly yeah and yeah. and i think that's one of the things that it kind of is so impressive about you know when you have a body of work like that do you feel like 
short story wise and like novel wise that you have breakout works where you think that like this is where I really came together as a writer or, or where you really found your voice or uh, um I think novel wise possibly the nature of balance which was a novel that uh leisure books published my it was my, partly because it was my first sort of um mass market deal mm-hmm. it was the first of your books that I read by the way oh really right yeah. okay yeah I mean it was probably only my fourth or fifth fourth or fifth novel third or fourth um but I think that was the one where I sort of settled into my own particular, you know, I think I think a writer's style progresses all the way through their career. I still like to think I'm working on my voice and, um, you know, settling into my own particular style. But that that was the one where I realized I wrote the novel and thought, yeah, that that this is the sort of stuff I want to be telling. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely the nature of balance. And that's and that's even reflected now in stuff like Eden and The Last Storm, which are. Um, in which nature field uh, features heavily the, in nature of balance it was it was sort of i didn't realize till afterwards but it was a sort of influenced by the terror by arthur macken who's a writer uk writer from the turn of the last century who i'm i'm quite influenced by right now you've also so for people who may be new to to your work you've also done a lot of tie-in work like a lot of like yeah. work with franchises that you know are already in existence and um you've done some really fantastic stuff within that realm yeah. and one of the reasons why i i particularly like there's certain writers who i think do tie in really well and it's usually a lot of for me it's a lot of times the ones that that's not the only work that they do right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's um you know like uh i i just top like john shirley's hellblazer novels for example are are just you know they could stand alone on their own in much yeah. the same way uh like for example that the the that first uh predator novel that you did that the trilogy mm. i remember thinking to myself when i was reading it like god um this is such a great science fiction novel regardless of the franchise yeah. that it comes from right so yeah, that was fun, yeah yeah so could you just give us a little bit about some of the different franchises you worked in and what was kind of the most fun like right yeah, yeah. On it? i mean so uh did i kill you in that trilogy i can't remember so when yeah. i wrote the rage war trilogy it was it was such a wide range in um like you say it was a big sci-fi is a sort of far future space war novel really a yeah. trilogy just happening to feature predators and aliens because that's what my publisher wanted me to do um and that, that was a lot of fun because there were so many characters in those books that I needed so many names for characters. So I just went on my Facebook page and said, do you want to have your face bitten off by a predator or an alien? And yeah, I, I don't think I was one of them, but I, I uh, do I've remember people. Feeling. Yeah. I've got a funny feeling. So I'll have a look. But yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. But I've done, <laughs> that wasn't my first. I've done, I think my first one was a novelization of The Cabin in the Woods for Titan. Um, mm. it was Hellboy novel. My, I think Hellboy novel might be my first. Yeah, that Hellboy novel was great. I remember reading that. Unnatural yeah. Selection, yeah. And that, that came about because I, I got really friendly with Chris Golden um, and he asked me to write a Hellboy novel for a line he was editing for Simon & Schuster. Um, that went on to that went on to me and Chris then writing eight or nine novels together and a screenplay and various other bits mm. and pieces. Um, so I've done Hellboy and... Uh, star wars and firefly and alien alien and predator um i think one of my favorites was alien out of the shadows that's a standalone alien novel uh, mm-hmm. 
part of a loose trilogy that I wrote with Chris and Jim Moore. Uh, that was that was sort of um, the concept for that came direct from Fox to to Titan. So I didn't get to choose where I placed my alien novel, but I got to write a Ripley story. Um, right. Set between Alien and Aliens, which which has its obvious problems because she did, she wakes up in Aliens and doesn't remember it. But yeah, um, that was the most fun to write because I'm an alien nut. I'm it's, it's my it's my um, you know my biggest love. I've got an alien little <laughs> right alien on my desk. I love it. Um, the movies, the law of diminishing returns in the movies. I think, but the first two Aliens is still my favorite film of all time. Uh, yeah. a lot of nostalgia there, but it's still it still holds up. Um, <laughs> so that was that was a great fun experience, and also to hear it dramatized by Dirk Maggs for Audible uh, with with a full cast, full ensemble cast, including Rutger Hauer as Ash. That was awesome. Uh, and Dirk did a great job of uh, adapting that and into a ten hour drama. It feels like you're immersed in a movie. It's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Oh, I'll have to try that. Um, it's great. Yeah, as the yeah that. That sounds really cool. Now you worked in a really interesting era of Star Wars. That was yeah. that was, did, you know, was, was that idea given to you, or did you seek out that that? No, that, that came to that was given to me. Um, I remember the call from my agent. We were talking about other stuff, and he said, "Oh, uh, by the way, do you want to do Star Wars?" I've just had a call from their editor, and I said, "Well, yes, <laughs> definitely," <laughs> um, because you know I'm. I'm not the I I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm not the biggest Star Wars geek, but I'm a I'm a big fan of the movies. Um, mm-hmm. So just had to say yes. Uh, and you know the money was quite good. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did that. But yeah, the um, my as soon as I put the phone down, I thought, oh shit, there's like 150 Star Wars novels. If mine is based in the middle of there, am I going to have to read 50 Star Wars novels to make sure I'm you know in the timeline? And then they said your your novel's going to be the earliest in in the timeline, the Dawn of the Jedi, and that was great. Because yeah. There was a series of comics I based it around. Um, I got to talk talk with the comic uh, creators about it, and then just pitched some ideas to the publisher. And pretty much every idea I pitched, they were like, "No, you can't do that. You can't you can't do that because we're using that wormhole in a future story, or you can't destroy that planet." So then I went away and pretty much made up my own star wars story that just happened to be set in the dawn of the jedi universe with my own characters um uh some of the locations i used but i also made up some planets so that i could blow them up uh mm. uh yeah it was good it was a real real fantastic experience and surprisingly um easy i wasn't there was not much editorial input into it as mm-hmm. a, you know i mean like I didn't deliver it and they said oh no you've got to change all this i delivered it and they went yeah that's okay yeah well it was, it was a good time for you to be doing that kind of story in star wars too because you had been working on those really dark fantasy novels that you'd been doing at the at the time yeah so and, that's interesting observation because that's the reason they gave me the novel because yeah. uh they wanted they wanted something that felt more like dark fantasy in space so that's interesting that you bring that up yeah yeah well, I, I always assumed that was the reason why, and that's why it, yeah. it, it worked so well. All right, so now, um, listen, I know you you shouldn't have favorite children, and it's always the most recent Ooh. work that you that you love, but but um, the the novel that you wrote that most kicked my ass 
like up and down was definitely the silence. And I read it long before the movie. I read it, I think the year it came out in paperback. It was my read of the year that year, which yeah, I, I take very seriously on my blog every year. And I read a hundred yeah. books a year. So, yeah. so it's, it's no oh, little, it's no little feat to rise <laughs> above everything and be the, the read of the year. Um, now, listen, um, regardless of what happened with the movie or what mm. happened with a quiet place. And by the way, my experience, <laughs> my experience with, cause I knew the silence was in production mm. and I knew I had read the book. And the first time I saw, I was at a movie and I saw a trailer for a quiet place. Yeah. And halfway through the trailer, I said, when did the silence cast Emily Blunt? That's crazy. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we had, we had her brother-in-law, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. But <laughs> the, so for people who don't know, the silence <laughs> is a, a monster apocalypse novel, kind of similar in tone to I would say like Day of the Triffids or something like that. Yeah, that's all built on these creatures that hunt, hunt sound, and um, you know. I want to get into a little bit about like one of the things that kicked my butt most about that book here in a second, but um, where, where did this novel come from? And, and like, did you know you had something really strong on your hands? Like while you were writing it or I, I just, it, yeah, I love so the silence. <laughs> I, I love it as well. It is despite what happened with the movie, which, <clears throat> which led on to, overseas sales and audiobook sales and stuff like that which is all really exciting and gratifying yeah despite all that it was it was one of my favorite novels when I wrote it and it's most of my novels it's I, I work hard to come up with a story idea and to mold it <clears throat> excuse me but I, I do remember and it, it a novel rarely hits me uh the concept rarely hits me hard and I go wow that's it I do remember the moment where I just thought because uh, I love destroying the world. I've done it loads, you know. Um, when I thought a, a novel about monsters that hunt by sound, and I'll call it the silence. And it was and it was like one line down on a bit of paper, and that that was the idea for the novel. Um, I, I don't, I, I rarely write anything and think, oh my God, this is great. I'm more likely to be writing something and think, oh, this just isn't working. I don't know, I, this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And that's always the case in the middle of a novel. And a lot of, writer friends of mine are sort of the same um because <clears throat> you're so close to a novel at the time yeah i do I, I do remember finishing it and delivering it and my publisher my editor saying that you know you've really delivered on uh what you because i sold it to the publisher before before i finished the novel obviously on a sort of treatment and they said yeah you've really delivered we're really going to push this hard um and it worked out great uh luckily thanks to thanks to a brilliant manager I've got in LA who who structured the deal really and got it got it made in an amazingly quick time I think the book was out in 2015 and the movie came out in uh 2019 you know it's yeah. a four-year gap between publication and movie hitting the screens is is, is un almost unheard of you know it doesn't happen that that often so I was very very lucky with that as well and lucky well, to get I, I think it's panel. such a it's such a powerful book like I mean immediately when I was reading, I was like, someone's going to get this, this book and make it like this is, yeah. you know, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, this has to be a movie. Um, 
Now, listen, my biggest problem with the movie was for, for me is that the most powerful scene in the book, the scene that right. just most destroyed me. Yeah. I just didn't feel like they captured it the way you did. And and that, I, I know the, the scene you're talking about. Yeah. The, the dog scene. Yeah. Right. And listen, listen, it means now when you were talking about being starstruck, the only time I've ever, cause I grew up in punk rock where all the right. bands were close, but I knew all the bands. And so meeting all the writers, when I started meeting writers, I've only kind of been starstruck twice. Right. Uh, Clive Barker and Richard yeah. Matheson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when I met Richard Matheson talking about the dog scene in um, I Am Legend, you mm. know, like the scene with the dog, the chapter with the dog and I Am Legend is the first time I ever cried reading a book when I was a kid. Yeah. And I got to say, the scene in the silence with the dog is like the first thing I thought when I finished that scene was holy shit tim levin did it <laughs> he, <laughs> he got a scene that 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 in my mind rivals that scene from i am legend partially because and different from i am legend i knew it was coming yeah right i knew yeah. this was gonna happen and it still hurt so bad it's, reading it you know it's such a brutal scene um Interestingly, I can tell you that they did film the scene, mm -hmm. but it didn't end up in the final film. So, oh, okay. And Stanley was very, they, you know, the, the guys who wrote the screenplay wrote it as I'd written it, the scene. Yeah. Stanley was very, yes, this needs to be in the film. It's going to be horrible to film. And he filmed it and he was, he was really proud of the, his scene, proud of the acting, proud of the moment. And then, so before we went on Netflix, it was going to be distributed through um, through theaters. And then I think uh, the distributor went bust just when it was going to happen. So they ended up selling it to Netflix. But previous to that, the distributor had said, this film's great. You've got to lose the dog scene. You've got to change it. It's too brutal. You know, so yeah. they refilmed it as as the as it is now, where he, you know, and this is spoilers for people, but where he presses the door thing and the, mm. you know, you actually see him putting his arm around the dog. And then you see a finger press the door button and the door opens, the dog jumps out and disappears, presumably to get eaten by wasps, you know? Yeah. Um, but they did actually film the scene. And if it had sold straight to Netflix, Netflix wouldn't have given a fuck. It would have been, yeah, that scene's in, you know? Right. So so somewhere on a cutting room floor somewhere, and I should ask the director, uh. he and I are still friends. You know, it would be really interesting to see a director's cut. And uh, I should I should run that by the director. He'll He'll have the real somewhere. <laughs> yeah so, yeah because that that for me because that's the most powerful part of the book that's where like yeah. that's where i literally had to put the book down and be like i knew this was coming and one of the things that i thought was so amazing about it and made it such a great trick and this is why i didn't make a spoiler warning is right. i knew it was coming yeah everyone you know it's coming and that's part of one of the things it's like the bomb under the chair yeah and yeah. uh it's uh, to, to me it's honestly um you know i've i've said before that i thought that that seems that part of the book sh is is one worthy of being taught uh, oh, and, and, yeah. and writing yeah. horror in writing horror so 
All right, it's, it's that's brilliant. Brilliant. you know, I've I've killed I've killed billions of people in my in my writing, <laughs> and uh, that that scene is honestly the scene I've got most reaction, positive and negative, from readers. You know, I've seen a lot of reviews for the book saying like. I can't read this book because it's got cruelty to dogs in it. Mm-hmm. And they, so they stopped reading it. And that's perfect, absolutely valid. You know, you, people uh, react to different things. And I'm, I'm a dog lover. I absolutely adore dogs. We lost our dog a few weeks ago that we'd had for 14 years and we're still all really upset about it. And I, and I think that's, and it's very strange how, you know, another reason that book I think was powerful for me and hopefully powerful for readers is that essentially it's my family. Yeah. So uh, when I wrote the book, my daughter was Ali's age and my son was Jude's age in the book. They're not my kids in the book, but it's basically my family and what would happen. Uh, and my dog, you know, we had a dog. His name was Blue in the book. He's called Otis. And that's because my wife uh, wanted to call him Otis. <laughs> so really, you know, that's that's why it's, that's so powerful, I think. But yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, and it, gosh, it's still still hits me and i think that a lot of times it it can be like a scene like that that really just hammers you know can be a dividing line for you yeah. know uh you know i have a friend that jokes that with like mad max fury road there you either get the guitar player guy or you don't right. and that can be the dividing line and whether you you can do fury road or not yeah 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 and and i think with the silence you know that that chapter can some people probably just can't do it uh, i know like um and i've mentioned mission a couple of times and i'm excited i'm visiting him this week but john shirley uh yeah he and i've talked about he cannot stand the ending of the movie of the mist he cannot take it yeah. cannot yeah and he has uh, he and i have argued about the ending of that movie so many times because mm. he just cannot wrap his head around the idea that a, a, a father could do that so it just he cannot take the movie right and i know for some people with the silence that that's the thing so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyways let's get to talking about the last mm-hmm. storm which is uh the new the, the new book and we're going to talk a little bit without spoilers and then and get into it um okay now so uh, the the last storm is a lot of people know that there's no way that science fiction can write about the near future without getting into climate change issues. That's why cli-fi has become a term, yeah. become, become a thing. However, you've written about environmental issues throughout your career. Um, you know, environmental issues are, are something that's kind of a, a running theme in your work. Uh, now, before we get into like what, how I kind of took this book and I want to see if your interpretation or my interpretation fits with what you think of it. Um, but where did the last storm come from? Like what's the origin of this story and you know, wh- what happened with this one? Okay. Um, so my previous novel was called Eden, which was, which was also a very overtly climate change sci-fi novel. Um, I've, I've heard people and again, it's difficult. I'm so close to my books. Sometimes I don't really see it. I've heard people say Eden was the hopeful one, and this is the grim one. <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> maybe they're right. Um, but this one actually came from a. Uh, I wrote a short story about oh, 15 or 18 years ago. That was in an anthology called uh, The Darker Side, edited by John Peelan, a friend of mine. Um, 
uh, that story was called Hell Came Down, and it was basically inspired by reading stuff like Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World in Charles Fort magazine um, about reigns of creatures, reigns of fish and animals. And I just thought it wouldn't it be cool if you had reigns of spiders and snakes and then creatures you don't quite know. Um, so when, when I was thinking about another novel to write after Eden, I didn't want to write a direct sequel of any sort, but I wanted to carry on the climate change uh, thing. And I didn't didn't really have a strong idea that hit me. So I started looking back through some of my old stories and I read, I, I remembered Hell Came Down and thought that actually is a fairly cool idea for a novel. Because I, I I'd had adapted that short story into a screenplay, which never really went anywhere. But subsequent to that, um, yeah, that's that's how I decided on that for the next novel. Yeah. And so now one of the comparisons that I made and, you know, look, the 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 cross between this and this is like kind of a corny marketing thing but i know from doing book reviews for more than a decade that people want you to to say like well what's it like what what do you you know and i kind of hate to reduce something because i know how hard when you work on a novel you're trying to make your own thing but like one of the things that i kind of sold this on is it's it's not as post-apocalyptic as something like the road because there's still huh. internet there's still cars yeah. and i really i really loved that part of the world building but because a lot of people haven't done that mm. but i kind of got this feeling of this kind of dust bowl america kind of but like a story like a fire starter or the fury like john ferris kind of yeah. set in that world because those those stories are always in our world so i i kind of had this feeling of 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 those books of like the because the rainmakers kind of with their so there are these characters in the book called the rainmakers who have this ability to make to make rain which in a post-apocalyptic world would be quite a superpower right so yeah i don't know how do you feel about that comparison to those books like yeah no book? that that sounds it, it, again not a conscious thing um i think the thing for me with the setting of the book oh the setting for me is always vital a vital part of the novel um eden wasn't set anywhere in particular if you read eden i never name even the continent where eden exists most people read it my agent read it and i think most people read it that it's in somewhere in north america but i never name that with the last storm i wanted i did want to write like a near future not too apocalyptic but you know the world's going to shit the climate change point of no return has been passed there's famine there's there's drought um and tell this story against that backdrop backdrop and and my what i really wanted to do is write a, a road you know a dust bowl road novel set in north america mm-hmm. and that's what that was always my aim so um you hit it spot on there really um mm-hmm. being a british writer uh, it was a bit of a challenge i visited the states loads of times and i got loads of american friends i did loads of research um i think that's and that's partly why i kept the novel kept the location of the novel mostly out of big cities it's all in like small town america or, or you know the, the farming belt because I, I wanted it to feel more like uh more like a world where not everything is functioning anymore but I didn't want to do that in a in an urban setting. I wanted it to be sort of rural. Um, mm. Lots of my writings set rurally anyway. I'm a, 
I love the countryside. We live in the countryside and I love it. And that's, that's why I still got a passion for nature. So yeah, that was, that was where that came from. Mm -hmm. Well, and there is a really grand tradition of great end of the world novels set in Britain. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. uh, Big Wyndham fan. Yes. So, uh, but doing this one, having this Americana thing to it, was important to the feel of the novel because so much of it is uh, that feeling of the vast distances traveled and yeah and one of the things I really appreciated about The Last Storm is that also is that it has an epic feel and scope but it's not a doorstop novel Um, right and uh, that is one of the uh, the magic tricks that I think um, our generation of writers have 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 done a little bit better is being yeah. able to tell these epic stories without the bloat um yeah, and i appreciate yeah. that so about yeah, yeah yeah it's the again you you're good at hitting the nail on the head about things is the epic epic scope of it i couldn't have told that story set in britain i don't think it would have yeah. felt very different uh you know the american settings got this it's almost a western feel to it in some way just the epic landscapes huge landscapes huge skies big skies you know we don't have that in Britain. We don't have very many remote areas in Britain where you can get lost. <laughs> right. Well, and one of the things I want to I, I want to say about my experience in, in, in loving this novel and anyone who follows my my book reviews on. Well, I, I don't think anyone else would notice this, but a lot of times when I finish a book and I rate it on Goodreads, I'll I'll do the star rating and then I'll write my review and a lot of times a four-star book becomes a five-star book. Right. And um, The Last Storm was a, a perfect example of a, a book that I gave four stars to at first. And then, uh, like, as I wrote about it. And this, is, I think, is one of the things that um, I really love about one of the reasons why I've kept reviewing books over time, because no one's paying me to do this. Right. No one's, you know, is that I learn so much more about the books when I dig into them. And I really, mm-hmm. like get into them and i i will admit the when i first read the last storm i wasn't because when i fir- was first started it, i went in totally cold all i knew was tim lemon right climate change okay and i thought the cover looked awesome and when i went into it i didn't know there was a supernatural aspect to it and it took me a little while to get into it and when we get into spoilers we'll talk about why i think uh, that was so important, but what I, I really want to sell to people is that um, I it, that it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, yeah. Super, the supernatural aspects of it, and yeah, I yeah. think I think because a lot of really good cli-fi is is hard science. <clears throat> um, I like the supernatural aspect of this one. Yeah, let, good. Let's. Um, let's just do a final like before we get into to spoilers about this you know what what are the things that you really want people to know who are on the fence like yeah this sounds cool like what you know how are you pitching the last storm as book Ooh. so i guess it's a i pitch it as a climate change thriller with supernatural elements um the big part of it for me is is the family uh the family dynamic um I write about families a lot, as you know, it's in the silence. Eden, not so much, but but then Eden started with a group of explorers who sort of acted like a family, but but were, you know, 
good together. Whereas the family in The Last Storm start estranged, virtually all mother, father, daughter estranged from each other. And I wanted to write about a family sort of struggling to rediscover itself and bring itself back together. And there's a big chase element to the book as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just the family involved. There's uh, there's a, a, a vengeful person involved as well who who sort of sort of drives the, the story really. Um, just a, a good sci-fi, cli-fi, road, you know, road trip horror chase novel, thriller, love story, naval romance, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything apart from the last bit. Well, one of the things, and I think maybe this comes from doing a lot of the sci-fi media tie-in work that you mm. that you're you're doing sorry for the motorcycles yeah. uh outside if you heard that um but doing a lot of that work you've gotten really good at world building and the world building in this book is something that we'll dig into in spoilers but okay. i just want to mention that um like the the atmosphere that you created in this book is really top notch. And, um, and I think, uh, well, the silence might still be my favorite of your work. Um, This is uh, a really fantastic novel that I think uh, might sneak up on some people. And I think um, it's, there's a lot of heavy thematic elements that we're mm. going to have to talk about in spoilers. So okay. I really want to sell to people like go, if you, if you haven't got the book yet, this is a good point to say, yep, uh, Tim and David, you did a good job selling this. I'm, I'm going to go buy it. Uh, I suggest the mystery for uh, my local store, mysterious galaxies, uh, oh, yeah. mysterious galaxy. I always say plural. Um <laughs> But they'll sell, they sell it on their website. You don't have to go to Amazon necessarily, mm-hmm. but just get it, uh, read it, and come back because I have this unique opportunity to pick this writer's brain about this book that I love. So <laughs> I'm going to start doing that here soon. And uh, I don't want Tim to worry about spoilers the rest of this time. So you've got your warning now, people. We're 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 gonna we're gonna spoil this book, and I I have waited. I'm waiting to release it till it's at, till it's out, so they they have no cool. excuses. So go it's buy it and then come back and listen to the last bit. Yep. So <laughs> we're now in spoilers. I want to talk about the world building. So the choice th- that that choice of making the world somewhat functional, but yeah. you know, very dust bowl and and very you know, because the first time. Um, I believe it's um, Karina says to Ash, like, hey, um, you know, I saw this on the Internet. I was a little like it took me a second because I was like I just in my head, I I was going to Mad Max. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this was a very conscious decision, but it has a lot of storytelling implications. Um, Can you talk about that decision as a writer to to make it make the world somewhat functional? Yeah. I think I just didn't want to write something in a it's an it's an apocalyptic novel not a post-apocalyptic novel you know it's yeah. written in a place where the world is slowly starting to fall apart due to climate change um which you know is pretty much where we are now I guess in in some respects um mm-hmm. well one of I, the most 
powerful scenes, there's a scene, and I have the quote here. The park itself is marked by drought. Grass is dead. A large pond contains a mere puddle of muddy water and a few scruffy ducks pad across its oily surface. Hardy trees persist here and there, but planting, planting beds are home to cacti and a few swaths of invasive de devil grass. Even in the city, and this is the important part that I want to talk about, even in the city, they don't call it climate crisis anymore or global warming, any other name that might have been used to urge positive action. Now this was the norm. I loved this part because it's saying that these people are defeated, basically, and that climate change has turned to just, you know, yeah, it's it, they're lost. The world is yeah. lost. But also, I, I sort of I hope I try and imply in the book that that that's the case. But also, there people do feel defeated, but they're also adapting. And there's a lot of scenes in the you know the small towns and the, the farming areas where people are adapting to what's been happening. Some yes. in good ways, some in bad ways. Um, and I see, you know, I see that as <sighs> a lot of my books are fairly grim, but that's a that's a positive thread to this novel, I think. The, the fact that um, <laughs> there's an adaptation going on to to a awful situation. <laughs> I know you don't want to want people to think that they're going to be in nothing but grim territory. There is fun to be had here, but yeah, there are some of us who enjoy to read the black, the darker than dark, black grim stuff. And so well, I, I've I've sort of got this reputation. There's not much humor in my books, and I and I don't know why, um, because you know I'm fairly sort of level-headed and light-hearted and and but maybe yeah. that's maybe i get all the all the dark stuff down in the books um i'm, I'm i try and i'm trying to put a bit more i'm doing different forms of writing now i'm doing uh, some scripts for audio stuff and there's there's a lot more humor in there yeah. uh not quite sure why that is but yeah it's not all a grim fest everyone there is there are fun scenes and there's um certainly with jesse i think the you know the, the father character he's he's sort of uh fun a lot mm -hmm. of the time yeah, well, no, I mean, I had fun reading this book, so it's not, that's not, well, but <laughs> let's talk about the Rainmaker. So th their powers were always there from the beginning because you, the, 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 the seed of the idea was the, the reigning creatures, right? Yeah. So, so you always had the Rainmakers have the supernatural power. What I think is thematically powerful about the Rainmakers in this book, whether it's intentional or not, is that you have this dead dying world and here are these people that would be like the Avengers of this world, yeah. right? Yeah. Because they have this power, but it's painful. Yeah. It hurts and and it's not something they want to do, right? Right, so, it's painful and it's damaging. Um, it's almost a gift they've that's come down through their bloodline that they don't really want. Um, it would have been it would have been too easy just to have them yeah we can make rain we'll go because they'd solved the problem you know they they travel across america making rain every every day they stopped mm -hmm. to have it as something that, that pains them and you know is mentally damaging as well just made it a much more interesting novel to write i think right and so developing the and so this family with uh jesse karina and ash like that that they're the power that they have this rainmaking ability is part of what you know well it is what tears their family apart so yeah. yeah and so you so i think it was important 
uh, from a storytelling perspective to have their this unique gift that they have be the thing that um you know tears them apart that was that was obviously a, a big storytelling choice so talk about yeah. that family dynamic for a little bit and what it yeah. what it meant for you yeah well exactly that i I always wanted to start the novel with the family torn apart. So the mother, Karina, doesn't have the gift, but she knows that Jesse has it and she knows what the gift did to Ash, which oh, we're in spoiler zone now, which um, mm-hmm. so Jesse... Spoil away. Spoil away. <laughs> in the opening chapter, which I, I, I think is one of my best opening chapters, and I, I really love it. I love how it turned out. Jesse um, is trying to make money by bringing down rain to help a drug dealer who's losing his crop. So Jesse's basically doing it for the for the family to, to earn mm. 50,000 50, bucks, whatever he's being paid. But he brings down creatures that kill the drug dealer and his henchmen. Um, and Jesse gets shot in the face before, and that's the end of the chapter. So, and then it jumps ahead quite a bit then to a time where Jesse's daughter, Ash, has exhibited the gift and has started building her own apparatus to use to bring down rain. And Jesse, and she's already bringing down different creatures. So Jesse can't, can't, you know, countenance an existence where his daughter's doing all these terrible things. So he tries to take the gift from her, but in 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 doing so, he thinks he kills her. So so the novel starts with him and his wife estranged. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a comparison that is a yeah. positive to me, but some people might not think so. Right. But it's got kind of a last Jedi thing where Luke is, you know, walked away. Yeah. From his, oh yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, walked away from yeah. his his gifts, you know, or Obi Wan recently, yeah. you know, like turned yeah. himself off from the Force in the, in a sense because um, he sees the negative that it's brought and it yeah. it takes this crisis or, or realizing, you know, that that his daughter might still be alive that brings him back to it. Exactly. And that, that was the, you know, to use a screenwriting term, inciting incident, I think. Karina knocking at his door and saying, I've seen, I think I've seen Ash on, on the news. You know, she's bringing down rain. Because Jesse, yeah. you know, Jesse thinks he, basically the poor bastard thinks he's he's caused his daughter's death. So he retreats to the hills. He, he builds a cabin in the hills and cuts himself mm-hmm. off from the whole world. Whereas Karina hasn't stopped looking for Jesse, doesn't believe she's dead. She's yeah. spent I'm not sure what the time term is, like five or six years looking for a daughter and angry and furious at Jesse, who doesn't. He's just sat on his own with his dog, you know, building defenses against the flood, the uh, flash floods and whatever. So I, I thought it was a lovely way to start her knocking on his door. She hasn't seen him for years. And she says, Ash is still alive. And he says, OK, we've got to stop her. And instantly brings these two estranged people back together. Yeah, and I I love the the element that it brings um, as far as well, and that that whole scene with with the inciting incident with Jesse or Jesse being on the farm and his wife coming back and saying that she's there. It was very I I felt his fear to go back. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't want to. He doesn't want to face. Um, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't made rain since his apparatus is on the top shelf in his room gathering dust. So yeah. he, you know, he's a, he sort of starts off in a sort of a cowardly place in some ways. He doesn't want to face anything. No, when I talked about how like my estimation of the, of the book rose, 
as right. I thought about it, one of the things that I just absolutely love, but it didn't click with me until I started writing about the book, um, just like fully click with me, but it was always there, of course, is that the, the theme of the creatures raining down being so connected to basically um, this idea that we destroyed this world mm. and in order to call on the universe to bring the water back it can't be done without like calling on this kind of dark magic that brings these creatures out is almost like you can have water but you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with a kind of like vengeance of nature right yeah like there's implications to what you do yeah yeah and that and it took me really like getting towards the end of the book to really you know and that's that's fine that's that's kind of how it should be revealed you shouldn't see it too early right no right absolutely yeah yeah it's sort of a building um right you're realizing what's going on at yeah, the same now, time that Ash is realizing what's going on. Was that something that just kind of came during the writing process of the theme, or was that something that you thought about early? Because it just came during the process. I, I tend not to plan a massive okay. amount. Um, so um, even even the the idea of the alternate world, Skunksville, and then uh, you know these strange creatures that come from there when i was first thinking about the novel i don't i don't think i was really going to explore that that much and then as i got into this alternate the alternate world that they see we only get a glimpse of it through their through the rainmaker's eyes only a really brief glimpse i just thought it was a really cool um cool idea to have this other place where there are weird creatures but also strange humanoid creatures in the distance Mm-hmm. Who, who are getting sort of getting closer and closer the more uh ash is using her power and they sort of and then it's like the universe notices you it's sort of it's a really cosmic horror idea really it's a lovecraftian thing yeah. she's noticed by the by the universe and they and they're interested and they come you know right and you just happened on something that <clears throat> i wrote and deleted like several times in my review which is i didn't want to give away in my review at any point that this is a cosmic horror cli-fi yeah thing right um it's just like for example with um uh john's recent cli-fi novel stormland i didn't want to give away how cyberpunk it was for a lot mm. of people for a long time until <laughs> i realized that they were doing it in the marketing and then <laughs> i was like okay uh, well yeah you're doing so, it in the marketing Whereas here, I really think that it's a it's a awesome reveal the cosmic mm. nature of it because we know there's a supernatural aspect. Yeah. Right. And uh, but if you read Ferris's The Fury, right, mm. and the twins like have the supernatural power, but it's not cosmic. You know, it's supernatural, but yeah, and all supernatural to a degree is cosmic. I get that, but. The, the level to which there's the Lovecraftian nature of this book, I really felt like was something that the readers should discover because it's because I the, the organic nature of how it was kind of how it kind of came out in the book. 
top notch. Loved it. Yeah, thank you. And then that's purely a product of me sort of welcoming it in as a bigger idea than it ever was going to be. So, and that, that's that's why it's not all there at the beginning. That's why, as the book goes on, because writing a novel is also a weird experience because I did it longhand. It's the only novel I've ever written longhand. In oh, that's in interesting. Book. Yeah, big pile of notebooks, which which was. Um, so I'm good friends with Rio Ewers, Canadian writer, who's just been on the show the twice. <laughs> Sorry, hey, Rio's been on twice. So, oh, is he? He's a good dude. He's a he's a really really good friend of mine, and I'm a big fan of his. Um, and he writes everything longhand, and he talks to me about it and how great it is. So I just thought I'm going to try that. So I bought all these lovely notebooks and fountain pens. Apparently, my in mind, my handwriting is terrible. Um, and then I had these romantic notions of sitting on top of local Welsh mountains writing and then fucking COVID hit. So I wrote the whole novel longhand in exercise in books in my house during COVID with my family. Um, <laughs> my daughter finishing uni, my son finishing A-levels, my wife working. So it was a case of finding a quiet place and opening a book and writing. So, yeah. And I, I honestly think that that <clears throat> the writing process longhand meant that ideas tended to build slower through the book and I think that's because I wasn't referring so much to a set of notes I was just sitting down writing I wasn't going back and editing as I went through I was just I, I just let it flow and then did sort of edits as I mm -hmm. awful long time typing it up so it sort of changed the writing process and hopefully in a good way so yeah, yeah. well I'm a big outliner and I like to I like to handwrite my outlines for sure but I, I i haven't taken the step of trying to i've written entire short stories but i've never yeah i've never <laughs> written an entire novel <laughs> by hand, uh, but. i left it to the end to transcribe it and that just took forever uh, but it was a good it was a good editing process actually typing up what i'd written um yeah. like I said, how much do you how much did do you think you changed from the longhand to when you were transcribing it like did it um, change a bit or uh structurally not an awful lot but um just the sort of flow flow of the writing um so i sort of did a like a half edit when i typed it in language wise and then did like structural stuff um <clears throat> but then not not an awful lot i tend to write my finished novels tend to be fairly close to my first draft uh, structurally mm -hmm. unless my editor comes along and says this needs changing in this case there was there's there's probably several there's eight or ten thousand words cut out from the original novel uh which is just a bit i can't remember what it was now a bit more world building a couple of incidents that didn't really add to the story so yeah well and so in that lovecraftian kind of revenge feel um it's funny because I usually point to what I consider like mission statements of novels is one of the things I like to write about in reviews where I feel like yeah. this is where the mission statement was. And I didn't find like one particular sentence or, or thing, but I, I felt like that was, that was, that was a huge part of it. And what's funny to, to, to think about is a lot of times when I talk to writers about like mission statement parts, a lot of times they are the ones that they happened upon you yeah. know that that wasn't planned it's just like mm. now i know what i'm going for and this thought occurs right. to me yeah, now yeah. before we talk about ash and c which i do want to talk about a little bit can i read you my favorite sentence from the book yeah um, which was <laughs> um well it's two sentences my favorite passage 
on a landscape fried dry by terrible drought and baked day after day by a merciless sun fire was a demon that stalked from place to place searching for where to settle its blazing roots (laughs) yeah that's That's some good shit right there (laughs) i just i just i i put it in my review and talked about just i just love that 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 those two sentences just because I'm a person that, um, and, I, and I've written a cli-fi novel myself, and I, right. I find um, uh, the fear of the future and the isolation that I believe that this future is bringing down on people that are not paying close enough attention to it mm-hmm. is really horrifying to me. That, that, that sentence and the idea of, of fire being this demon that's stuck, because I, you know, I live in California, so. Right, yeah. I've survived some wildfires and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I've seen them. And so I, I found that to be particularly horrifying. So I just wanted to give big thumbs up. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That sounded okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded more than okay. It was incredible. Now C and, and Ash are an important relationship in the book because I think mm. C as a character, she kind of, um, she's outside of the whole rainmaker thing. So yeah. She provides an important uh, role for us. Um, one of the there's some some interesting character dynamics, not just them, but um, I can't remember when Jesse Jesse goes to buy like the guitar case, and I can't remember mm-hmm. the woman's name that he meets. Like some of these interesting characters, they they're not in the book for huge amounts of time, but but mm-hmm. they leave such a great impression. Can you talk? us a little bit about creating the characters and 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 how the characters played a role in, in the overarching narrative yeah um i i guess that all comes in the in the process you know um c i always i've got a soft spot for c because she's she's as damaged as ash um in many ways and i, I think that's why c and ash certainly why c is drawn to ash she sees another damaged character that she knows needs help um but the the incidental characters, I mean, my favourites are the the um, uh, the oh, what are they called my own novel, the uh, the blood, you know, the 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 guys with the blood disorder in mm-hmm. um, in the cafe. Uh, they're they're because they're they're not in the novel for very long at all, and they I, I could write a novel about them because they're a really mm-hmm. interesting bunch. Um, and it's a lot of that is just wanted to give more flavour to the world to sort of get the idea over that there's other stuff going on with um in this world it's not just the rainmakers that's the story i'm telling but there's loads of other stuff going on as well mm-hmm. well listen uh, the last storm and, and and listen environmental horror is like my shit like uh the sheep look up is one of my all-time favorite books right of I'm all not time read, not read it the sheep look up the sheep look up by john bruner right okay all right, well, listen. In a note, John Skip uh, and I, uh, he Skip came on my podcast to talk about the Sheep Look Up because we, the Sheep Look Up was a huge um, inspiration for uh, for for my Cli-Fi novel. But uh, the Sheep Look Up, written in the early seventies, um, are you familiar with Bruner? No, I'm not. No? Oh, okay. I'm gonna blow your mind now. 
Okay, John Bruner, like I know I do a Philip K. Dick podcast, but John Bruner, who is like the British equivalent of Philip K. Dick. Right. Um, in the 60s and 70s, he was as prolific. And uh, but he did a, a series of environmental novels that are considered his masterpieces, starting with he won the Hugo with a novel called The Stand on Zanzibar. And oh, I, I think Bruner's my Bruner Bruner's like my all-time favorite science fiction writer. Right. I and, should, yeah, yeah, but the sheep look up, I consider to be top 10 horror novel and top 10 science fiction novel at the same time. Wow. Uh, and uh, I literally sold a pre-order of The Last Storm to a friend by just saying, because uh, he asked me, he's like, oh, so it's a, an environmental horror novel. Is it sheep look up good? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's I said, yeah, yeah. Is sheep look? I said, you know, sheep look up is like one of my all-time classics. But I was like, yeah, you'll put it on the shelf with it. And then nice. he was like, okay, okay. And <laughs> so that's a that's lot true. for me to say that. Um, I re- what I really think is fantastic about this book and what's different. I mean, that's that book for its time was kind of hard sci-fi and. Yeah. You know, some of it's outdated because it was written in 72. Mm. But what I think is really, really fantastic about this book is that this is this, this is real world fears and concerns, but it it is a supernatural story with family elements. So it's, we got all these things. We got all yeah. these things yeah. that come together. And uh so, but it has a lot of deeper meaning. So I, I really just appreciate on a, a storytelling level that The Last Storm, um, I think, combines a lot of the elements that you've been working towards. Like, yeah, um, sure. do you feel like, I'm, I don't know, does this feel like a final statement on climate change and those things? Or do you think it's a more of a jumping off point where is this an issue you're going to tackle again? And maybe I yeah, should have done this I mean, outside of spoilers, but no, that's okay. Because yeah, without a doubt, I'll write about it again. I mean, I am working on another novel now uh, called Symbiotic, which does have climate change aspects, um, not as overt as this and Eden, mm-hmm. uh, but still something that, that is driving the story. Well, it's the most uh, horrifying thing in the world right now, and it should be for people. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's always like you, like you've said, and I, I've said. I'm a massive lover of nature and I always have been. And that's down to my mum and my dad. Um, so you write about what scares you, don't you? And uh, what scares me is what we've done to the world and, and the effects it's starting to have and is continuing to have and will continue to have because we're not doing enough about it, you know? So that's, and I extrapolate that in these books and, and you know, turn them into thrillers and adventure novels. But the, the, the core message is we've fucked up the world and we should be <laughs> more concerned about what we're doing to it now, really. Mm-hmm. We yeah. could have a whole other hour talking about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I don't want to be super, super depressing about it. And, no. Um, but, and, you know, you've you've written just straight thrillers like The Hunt and, yeah. you know, and, and obviously like to do monster stories and do those things. But I think 
um, the reason why some of us keep returning to climate as a theme is because it is the most horrifying thing that we're dealing yeah. with. And especially for people like I, I don't have children, but I think that if I had children or grandchildren, like the, I, I think would be even more frightening. And I don't understand why more people aren't frightened. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've got two kids. My daughter's 23. My son's 19 soon. Um, yeah. My daughter's actually doing a master's degree in climate change at the moment. So, you know, I say to her, you're never going to be out of work because, you know, yeah. through her lifetime, the world's going to be changing. And I, I should I should say that I'm I'm still an optimist at heart and I still think that we can. Uh, and that, that's that's why a sort of a sub theme of this book is adaptation. People, people in the desert, which I call this part of America, which is famine struck and drought struck. Mm. They're adapting and surviving. And I think we will. Um, well, and, and that's one of the change. <laughs> that's one of the things that is. Uh, um, well, when I promote Sheep Look Up, it is one of the most depressing books you'll ever read. Right. But a lot of it. Um, and I have had people tell me like, you know, like, I'm not thanking you for suggesting that book to me because it's so depressing. Okay. However, a lot of it is about pollution. And we right. did make strides in yeah. pollution in our world. So, you know, part of the warning didn't quite fall on deaf ears. And that's part partially for, you know, Rachel Carson writing Silent Spring as well. And and I think uh, it's one of the lovely things that you've been able to do with your career is write some of these books that have these environmental themes, um, you know, you and hopefully you gain readers by doing your Hellboys and your Fireflies and things and yeah. get them to these serious works. And I and, and it's one of the things that I really appreciate about your work, Tim, and yeah. um, and and have always uh, appreciated about um uh the depth that you bring to the horror that you write um yeah thank you so and, much yeah and um also enjoy following your stories of, of your long distance running and all that stuff which i think is very very interesting to read about and i'm so i i've always thought it was cool that you turned it into a thriller with the hunt which um yeah i mean that never understood how that wasn't a movie either because oh man was, there's a long history to that so uh <laughs> So originally that was going to be a movie uh, that got really high up in one of the studios at uh, the same time as the silence was just getting there. And uh, for, for like for a, a month or two, I was thinking I'm going to have two Hollywood movies made in the same year, you know, and then yeah. as as these things happen, it didn't happen there. So um, that had a really big writer attached as well. Um, so then it became and then another writer took it on and adapted it for TV and it was optioned by TNT. For a couple of years um he wrote a pilot and that never happened um i've actually written i've written my own spec script based on the hunt which my manager has got and we're getting ready to show it around now so well, and i would think specifically with that story your your exact experience would be very crucial and important to uh yeah it's, selling know, that yeah right about what you know that that's that's the main reason i wrote that novel i thought i do all these iron mans and you know running up and down mountains and stuff let's let's write about it and i and i did so i'm the character in the book except i've never been shot at <laughs> <laughs> right all right well uh just to wrap things up um uh i i just really enjoyed this book um i i definitely think it's my favorite 
thing of yours I've read since the silence. Um, and uh, uh, not that I haven't liked the stuff in between. I, I just, right. I just think this is, I, I think this is definitely one of your most powerful works in a, in a, in a really strong way. Um, and it's that. one, and, and I want, I do want to say it's a book that, that stayed with me and gnawed at me a little bit after yeah. it was done. And that That's is good. the best thing you can ask for in a book is right. that um, I want to like the book more as I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. That's good. That's good. And I, and um, I, I think one of the things that people should, you know, I take a lesson from and because a lot of the people that listen to these spoiler reviews are are, are writers who are big readers that you know want hints and and what a, what i think um another thing that's really great about the writing of this book is that the character work and the world building are all there's no um there's no wasted space you're not overdoing things in this book you and and i love that i wish more writers would not you don't have to spend five pages describing a tree if you do a good job like right. setting Dude. the place and yeah. jesse for example is a is just such a he's such a fully formed character and that also on a spoiler level because we are in spoilers um mm -hmm. The ending for the guy was something that I wasn't looking <laughs> that I didn't see coming and was also pretty brutal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that's something that I didn't really plan until I got very close to the end and the, the sort of final, you know, the final few chapters, the final showdown, I, I thought they're not, they can't all get through this. So yeah, that was pretty good as well. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think it's an important journey for, for Ash. And I think kind of sets her up as, 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 um, kind of coming into her own and this is an it's an it's a nice thematic unintentional thematic bookend where they see her as dead at the beginning and then you know then they all have to learn to live without jesse at the end so yeah, um yeah, well yeah. done well yeah, done <laughs> yeah thank you that's good all right so tim is there uh anything you want to tell people you got so much coming out uh in this this year do you want to do you want to pitch those i guess i should have done that before spoilers but uh, yeah sure well i recently had two books out with ps publishing one's called um all nightmare long which is a new collection and the other one's called without walls which is a uh illustrated novella written with uh daniel Serra, the sardinian artist amazing artist a good friend um last storm is out uh what's the date so it's out uh, on the 12th in the uk and the 19th in the us mm -hmm. and then um Oh, so like, it got pushed back, right? Yeah, it's been, it's been pushed back. There's okay. there's delivery problems and there's, you know, the paper shortage hasn't helped, I don't think. Only been pushed back like two weeks, I think, in the States. Okay. Well, I'll pay attention uh, to that because I want to release this after people have the ability oh, to Oh, cool, it. yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. So that they've read it. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I've also got, I've got a novella with Chris Golden out uh, from Dark Horse, mm -hmm. which is illustrated by Peter Bergting. And it's just amazing. His his artwork is incredible. So it's it's another heavily illustrated novella. It's not a comic. It's a full novella length story with loads of great illustrations from Peter in there. Mm -hmm. um, that's out in I think that's September or October, so later this year. Now I have one last question that is just like a personal Tim Tim Levin okay. writer question, which is 
when you go for these runs, do you listen to music? Do you not listen to music? And do you, how much of your storytelling is developed on these runs where you're on these long runs? Yeah, so like, very little, to be honest. I, I never listen to music. I, I like to be out in nature and just, you know, it's, it, it's my own headspace, I guess. Um, See, so I, I hate hearing my breath when I'm running. Oh, do you? Right. Okay. I, I can't stand <laughs> hearing myself breathe. So when yeah. I run, I listen to music and I uh, okay. love it loud. Yeah. I mean, I'm a massive music fan. I listen to music. I, I put music on the minute I get up and turn it off when I go to bed. And I'm, I love music. But when I'm exercising, I don't listen to it. When I'm writing, I listen to music virtually all the time. Um, but no, exercising also, very little, very little story thinking. Just occasionally something will pop in and I'll think, oh, that'll work. But I don't, I don't go out with the aim of thinking through plot problems or anything i just go out and it, i think it clears my head it's like my meditation in a way i mean i do i do sort of do a little bit of meditation here and there anyway but the best meditation for me is getting out into the countryside with a pair of trainers on and doing a few miles down along the local river just mm -hmm. being absorbed by nature and you know it's, it's just the, the the best yeah i um as uh i'm a big basketball guy and i love playing basketball and not when you're playing in, in a game because you have to have focus, but when, yeah. um, and um, Josh Mallerman and I talked about this when, uh, when he was on the podcast is a lot of times when I'm just shooting hoops by myself, yeah. it's funny because there'll be times where it's like within the moments of just like, just nailing a shot. And then like my brain goes like, ah, there, here's this thing um but it's not all yeah. the time but it's right. it's, it's an interesting thing but you know it's the never creative... forced either. it's never forced is it it just it's it's your brain working in the background yep yep that's what it is yeah. well uh tim i really enjoyed this conversation um the the last storm is is incredible um you will forever have a place in my heart as having written that scene in the silence that just <laughs> broke me i'm um, sorry and yeah. no, in all the right <laughs> ways. I, I'm the guy who likes yeah, right. the, the grim, darkest shit. I like when a book makes me, um, you know, crack uh, right. because I think yeah. that I think that's that's when a writer is working on all cylinders, if they can make you crack. See, I don't people who are like, oh, that's all it made me feel awful. I'm like, hey, you felt something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it worked, you know. Yeah, it's it is a difficult scene. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I discovered in, in the hunt, I think I, I was nasty to some dogs as well. And somebody pointed it out. And I, and it was, again, I suppose, it's, you know, I'm a dog lover and I'm writing about what, what scares me, stuff happening to my dog. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. All right, Tim, it was great talking to you, uh, you with too. you. And um, I hope uh, everyone will, um, you know, uh, continue to check out the new stuff and um, uh, read you religiously. So thank, thank you. you for joining Bye. us. Cheers. Thank you very much.